not like super relevant, but more enjoyable than historically bad. Yes. <laughs> that should be, I want someone to iTunes review us with that. Give us five stars so that people know you're joking. But like, that's the review that I want to read someday the next time I crack into our iTunes. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey everybody, welcome to the Touch Em All podcast, a special reunion episode of the Touch Em All podcast. Derek Wetmore and Phil Mackey, myself, back together for the first time in about a year, it seems. Derek, you're in Fort Myers, I'm in the Twin Cities, we haven't actually done an episode together off the radio, um, probably since like mid-January. We have been terrible in terms of schedule and uh, getting content off the ground, but... Alas, yeah. you are at Hammond Stadium, and I will be joining you next week, and so plenty of content on the way. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, seems like a year to you, Phil, but I don't know if it just speaks to my level of enjoyment of the podcast relative to yours, but honestly, it feels like just yesterday we talked, if you ask me. <laughs> well, Twins Fest was awesome, and if anyone hasn't listened to the Twins Fest uh, episode, uh, 90 Minutes... We talked to both the new Twins front office overlords. Max Kepler was great. Jock Jones was great. So you can find that. And I know that you did an episode last week uh, while I was soaking in some Hawaii sun rays. But let's dive right into this one. And if you haven't subscribed or given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, we would greatly appreciate it heading into the 2017 season. Uh, You could help raise awareness for one of the top 20 Twins podcasts in the country, I'm guessing. Top 25 at the very least. Uh, Baseball Prospectus came out with their annual projections. And this, these are the Pocota projections that Nate Silver helped create like 10 years ago before he dove headfirst into politics. And I want to say before I give you the Twins projection on this, which is very optimistic, two things. Number one, baseball prospectus usually gives a range of performances based on uh, percentile for each player and even each team as you add up the players. So really, I mean, on these projections, they're giving you a number, a win number, but in reality, they're giving you, uh, when you look at their player projections, 10th percentile, 50th percentile, 60th percentile. So it's more glamorous to give a number, but it's more realistic to give a range. Uh, and then the other thing to note is in 2008, they correctly predicted the Rays' resurgence from 90 losses to almost 90 wins when nobody else had it. That being said, the Twins, according to Baseball Prospectus, projected to finish 500 or just under 500, 80 and 82, with a run differential of minus 14, which would be light years better than last year. How shocked would you be if the Twins were a 500 baseball team somewhat in contention for one of those wild card spots as we look back like six months from now? I'd be surprised, but not like stunned. I talked to a coach actually who said that the 0-9 start that actually probably sunk them a little bit more than you would have expected. And I think the same thing is true of this year. 
I think that if the Twins, you know, are in a good contending spot, let's say, let's say they're hovering around 500 or whatever around the trade deadline, and they're buyers. Well, that's a totally different conversation than if they hit the skids in April. It's just a death march to the end of the season, and they're going to sell off every veteran at the trade deadline. I, obviously, those are two drastically different outcomes. But really, if if, if you're asking me in, you know, February. I feel like the margin between those two is not that great. Like it's not that significant over the course of the first four months of the season to either be also rans and needing to sell off all your used parts or be like kind of right in the thick of it. Given the fact that the second wildcard team doesn't always finish much higher than the mid eighties for wins. So like, do I think the Twins are going to the postseason in 2017? No. But would I be shocked if they won 77 or 78 games? Almost 20 games more than they won last season? I wouldn't be too shocked by that either. Put, put it this way. When you look at these projections, and again, this is not gospel. This is not to be taken uh, you know, as, as Bible. But there's only three teams, according to these American League projections, that are expected to be far and beyond better than the Twins. The 90-win Boston Red Sox, 92-win Cleveland Indians, and 94-win Houston Astros, who have, over the past couple of years, this young core, uh, these position players that are just Carlos Correa. Um, they've got all these guys coming through. Beyond that, it goes, let me see here, 84-win Tampa, 84-win Texas. Actually, 87-win Seattle would be in that mix, too. And then you get to, like, 82-win Yankees, 80-win Twins. So they've, they've got the Twins as at least being relevant and making a jump up. And I will, and I will say this, too. One of the main reasons for why uh, they have the Twins is a much more competitive team. They have them allowing about 140 fewer runs in 2017 than in 2016, which is astronomical. I mean, that, that's almost a full run per game compared to last year when they had the worst a bottom three defense, uh, bottom three pitching staff, both bullpen and starting staff. And the reason why I don't think this is completely crazy and, um, and, and far out there is because if you're telling me I get six months of Byron Buxton's glove in center field and almost 162 games, depending on how many games he sits, and I get Eddie Rosario and his defense and his arm in left field for almost a full season, and Max Kepler, who's probably not on the same level defensively as, as those other two guys, but still he's young, um, he has legs, and doesn't have to cover as much ground with, with Buxton in center field, I think there's a chance if those guys stay healthy, the Twins go from bottom three outfield defense, which according to defensive runs saved, uh, they were minus 30 outfield defense alone, minus 30 compared to average. I think they could go from bottom three to flirting with top five, for sure top 10. And if that's the case, if they went from where they were last year, minus 30, to flirting with the top five. Let's say they flirted with uh, the Rays, who were fifth last year, at a plus 26. Outfield defense alone could gain them an extra 50 runs compared to last year without accounting for offense, without accounting for pitching upgrades, or Jose Barrios figuring it out, or, um, or any, any combination of things uh, in the infield with defense as well. So, I mean, if, if you're finding me a pretty easy way to gain 50 runs right there, then I can follow you down the path of the Twins being relevant in 2017. Not like playoff relevant, but at least more enjoyable than historically bad. <laughs> yeah, okay. That should be the tagline for the not only the 2017 Twin season, but also the Touch Em All podcast from here on out. Not like super relevant, but 
more enjoyable than historically bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that should be, I want someone to iTunes review us with that. Give us five stars so that people know you're joking. But like, that's the review that I want to read someday the next time I crack into our iTunes. The thing that I'll say well, about the, the, the White Sox had that and, slogan a few years ago. Their tagline for the season was, we're all in. And, oh, they, yeah. and I think they train wrecked after about three weeks, and they had to burn all the you know all the marketing. So instead of we're all in, it's going to be we plan on being well not contenders, but uh, better than historically bad. Just yeah. better than historically <laughs> bad can be all over the t-shirts. It's gonna it's gonna take a lot of uh, extra printing, but I think it's worth it. Um, the on the outfield defense point, and we'll let's uh, let's. Not let's not buck horns on this. Is that the phrase? Butt horns, butt heads. I don't know those like ram's horn sheep that run into each other when they disagree about something. It's, let's not do that on this podcast. Let's save that because I don't think and and I wrote this on both of my twenty five man roster projections, both in mid January and here in mid February. I don't I don't think I'm as sold on Eddie Rosario as everybody else seems to be, and. That's not just offensively where the guy can't even manage a 300 on base percentage, but defensively watching him at target field last year, I felt like he took a pretty significant step back in the field. Um, who knows if that was just a blip on the radar because he was actually gone and he missed a cutoff man and the twins sent him down right after the game. So we, we didn't see a full season sample size of Eddie Rosario in year number two, but I think that there were enough underlying concerning signs there when I watch that guy play every day out in left field not to say that he's not faster than Robbie Grossman and even Rosario's worst defense is probably better than Robbie Grossman so I'm not trying to say like this for sure won't happen but uh, for me Buxton's a slam dunk in center field and Kepler is a slam dunk in right field I don't even know that I'd put Rosario on a layup in left field um, because there are enough questions I have about his game but all of that withstanding like even considering all of that as evidence i still think that uh, an outfield centered and anchored by byron buxton that does not include oswaldo arcia and miguel Sano in any form or fashion in oh. either corner outfield spot ever is going to be quite a bit better and you talked about a 50 run improvement maybe a 60 run improvement or whatever just to put it into context for non-stat geeks a lot of a lot of uh, sabermetricians will say 10 runs equals roughly one win. So if you can improve 50 runs from minus 30 to plus 20 or plus 30 or whatever over the course of a season, you're probably talking an extra six wins, let's just say. And that takes you from 59 wins to 65 wins, which brings me to my point here, Phil. A 500 projection still constitutes as very Pollyanna because even with a significant, like, unprecedented improvement in an area like that, which should help fix the pitching staff. It should make the ERAs look a little bit prettier than they have been in the past. It'll make pitchers better, even if they don't get better. So even with that improvement though, you're still talking about last year's team as a 65 win club and you got to find another 15 to get them sniffing 500. I think it's possible you add wins here and there. And I think it's totally possible that last year's team instead of like a 59 win team probably had the talent of like a 66 or 67 win team. All right. Well you bank in that plus the improvement. Now you're getting somewhere, but you still got a ways to go. So I don't want to understate how big of a Canyon the twins have to cross to go from 59 wins, even to 79 wins and to 
to start talking about 85, 86, 89 is just like clinically insane. I think they're, they're going to have to take steps, but um, even some big improvements would, would still leave plenty of ground left to be covered in my opinion. Yeah. Just uh, one more note on the outfield defense. Cause you, I forgot that Oswaldo Arcia was out there for, I mean, he, he was one of their starting uh, corner outfielders for 200, 200 plus innings worth at the beginning of the year. Uh, the target I think, field grass in left field has not forgotten and may not have forgotten still. The target field grass in left field might have better range than Oswaldo Arcia. <laughs> if, yeah. if you just timed them both in a 40-yard dash. Uh, they devoted between... I'm going to give you four guys who shipwrecked their outfield defense last year. And these are four guys who had... Well, three for sure who had no business playing in the outfield defensively. And one that might, but... Uh, wound up being their worst defensive outfielder. Oswaldo Arcia, 228 innings. Miguel Sano, three, 312 innings in the outfield. One, four, one fourth of a season. Uh, Danny Santana, noted infielder, who's just been shoehorned into center field. Almost 500 innings, minus nine defensive runs saved. And Robbie Grossman, who, who played over half the year in a corner outfield spot mostly, was a minus 21 defensive run saved. When you add yeah. up those four guys, uh, they accounted for 1,600 innings, which is essentially one starter. Even it's, it's more than one starter's worth. If you put one guy out there for 162 games and he played nine innings a game, you wouldn't get to 1,600 innings, obviously. Do the math, right? So they, they had one full starter out there. Uh, if you add these up, that was 40 runs below average defensively alone. So if you just don't put those guys out there anymore for for that many innings or for any innings, and you just put league average defensive players in those positions, um, which Kepler, Buxton, Rosario can be league average, if not much better, you've yeah. already improved, like you said, you've already improved your pitching staff without them doing anything differently than they did last year. Yeah. And the point I guess that I was just trying to make is that that's a, that can be a really significant and literally tangible improvement. Uh, there's, there's still a lot of ground left to be covered to get those 20 wins back. And just a point on Grossman. And we honestly should probably dive into this on the podcast that we're going to debate the 25 man roster. Um, the column I posted that I'm sure you read, uh, you, you and your colleague Judd Zolgad, I know are just glued to 1500ESPN.com. Uh, where I basically make the argument, look, I'm a stats guy. Trust me, uh, you, if you've heard this podcast for any length of time and heard me cite WOBA or Weighted Runs Created or talking about you know park adjustments for, uh, for, for analyzing hitters and pitchers, I, I get it. I am team stats through and through. But I think Grossman had a terrible year in the field. You don't necessarily need uh, defensive runs saved to tell you that. He just played like crap. But – even if you look at the analytics, even if you put a ton of weight into defensive analytics over a, a 400 inning sample, which I think is a mistake, even if you're doing that, you're looking at a guy who was like passable in left field for the Astros to otherworldly bad in left field for the Twins. And that's not to say that it didn't happen. Like it, it did. He had a bad defensive season and the numbers reflect that. So we sort of agree on that eye test and stats. But I just don't see that at 26 years old, a guy who's not fast by any means, and it's not like he's got great tools to be a defensive outfielder. I just don't think he would like fall off the wagon so severely and become one of like the league's worst defensive left fielders. So I think that was a bit of a blip. Am I speaking out of both sides of my mouth? Like, 
a little bit because I said Rosario can take a step back, but Grossman can't. Um, I guess I'm not trying to paint myself into that corner necessarily. It's just to say that if you're looking at war, what you have to remember, have to, have to, have to remember about wins above replacement is that it's incomplete and imperfect. It's a good starting template when we start talking about evaluating players, but it also relies heavily on these defensive stats, which basically everybody agrees are not yet perfect. We're not yet ready to quantify a catcher's value behind the plate and put a number on it. Yet, we try to. We try to put this into the war formula and let it spit out one nice, clean number. So for anybody who was uh, quibbling on that piece saying, like, well, Rosario was worth a half a win and Grossman was worth only .7 war last year over a much bigger sample, you've got to put Rosario. I, I'd say I get your war and let's – Let's not use that as the end of the argument. I want to kind of open up the question. Maybe we do it in another podcast, whatever, but that the Twins might be better off if Eddie Rosario is a fourth outfielder. Um, that's Maybe that's another soapbox rant for another day, but but that's, uh, that, that's my spiel on outfield defense and how the Twins could even improve, even if they put statistically their worst defender out in left field. Yeah, if you, if you you I've, I've always subscribed to... Uh, you know, if if you have two really good plus defenders, if you have an elite Gold Glove caliber center fielder like uh, Torrey Hunter used to be, like Byron Buxton probably will be starting this year, and then another really good corner outfielder that also affords you the luxury of experimenting more with statues who can hit bombs in the other corner outfield spot. And at some point, um, you know, maybe you have to go down that path. But if Max Kepler can be both for you, and if Eddie Rosario can right. be a little of both for you. And you have Byron Buxton. It's it's a huge step forward. Um, unless you have another thought on how outfield defense can bring the Twins to a hundred wins and the greatest turnaround in baseball history, I'd like to transition into uh, something else here. While also promoting, know what my next point was. What? Oh, what's that? <laughs> how do you know what my next point was? Uh, I've got the parade route planned actually, and I can do <laughs> the details on the next podcast if you want. <laughs> Uh, you can find Derek's full parade route on 1500ESPN.com where all of his Fort Myers spring training coverage will be over the next month or so. And uh, Judd and I are going to be doing our daily radio show from down there. The first week of full squad workouts starting on the 19th, or the, I think the 20th is that Monday coming up here. And then we'll have uh, all kinds of stuff. I'm sure we'll put some of that on the Touch em All feed as well. But here's something else to note regarding just from a – we can take a step back from the weeds here, from from defensive runs saved and war and some of these other uh, you know nebulous metrics. Hey guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch 'Em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota, six ninety four and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades. And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. When trying to determine if a team is on the upswing or how likely a team is to take a nosedive or a big step forward... I think a general gauge is to just look at each individual player. Don't don't even dig too deep. Just look at even look at batting average and on base and games played and some of these things and and look at what their baseline performance 
ordinarily is. So in Joe Maurer's prime, he was a 315 or 320 hitter. Well, all right, 2011 was the bilateral leg weakness season. Okay, well, you can, you can pretty safely project that if he gets back to his uh, normal baseline performance the next year, that the offense uh, as a whole is going to go up. Well, of course, everything else came crumbling down for the Twins in 2012, so that's a bad example. But if you just look at the baseline performances, what you would expect each player to do offensively and go up and down the roster, and, and you could include pitchers on this too, I think there are only two position players who outperformed their base level or baseline. Brian Dozier okay. with, with 42 home runs. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he drove in 100. He stole 18 bases. Uh, he slugged 546. I think he outperformed his baseline sort of, uh, you know, like his 50 to, se- 50 to 70th percentile performance. I also think Eduardo Nunez is no longer on the team, only played a half season with the Twins. Uh, even though he cooled off near the end, he outperformed his baseline. Everybody else, and most of this is based on age and playing time, has a lot more to give going forward. I'm not saying it's guaranteed that they're going to that they're going to close the gap, but Byron Buxton, if the light bulb did go off in September, he has a lot of moving up to do. Um, if you if you let him fill out 600 plate appearances with an increased performance offensively. Miguel Sano had kind of a down year, didn't get on base as often, struck out a lot more, uh, was injured for a month or so, only played in 116 games. Max Kepler going into his second year, on, again, only played 113 games, probably sees his performance get better as he gets older, as he gets more experienced. Really sharp player. Jorge Polanco, I, I could keep naming guys. I think the Twins up and down their roster have a lot more players who are trajectory, uh, who are who are uh, crescendoing upward. Um, yeah. I guess that's a I'm 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 repeating myself by saying crescendoing upward, but you know what I'm saying. Then the other yeah. way around. I think the arrow is pointing in the right direction, and importantly, there are four players who that's true for: Jorge Polanco, Miguel Sano. Byron Buxton, and J.O. Barreos. I think all four of those guys you expect, based on analytics, based on being around the team, based on talking to observers with the Twins and evaluators of other teams, I think you can expect those four guys each to have better overall season this year. The the big, the two big question marks out of the four there are Sano's defense and Polanco's defense. So I'm not just trying to overlook that and say it's all going to be great, it's rosy, the Twins are going to be excellent. There are some real questions on the left side of their infield defense, and I don't know if either of those guys can answer the bell, but they have a chance, they have the opportunity to show us uh, that they should be trusted this year. They have they have the tools in the toolbox, as it were, to uh, to perform at least at a league average in both those positions. I don't think Polanco will be a league average shortstop, but I don't think he could, I think at his 99th percentile, He's definitely not going to embarrass you at shortstop. Now, is he going to reach that? Question one. Question two, Sano, what's his like 50th percentile of defense? And his 99th percentile, I've talked with people with the Twins, uh, well, the current regime, but also uh, even Terry Ryan said this, uh, that basically if he is the, let's say, 90, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm stealing your words and mashing it with theirs. But if he hits the 99th percentile, or the 90th percentile of his defensive capabilities at third base, Miguel Sano's a plus defender, meaning he's better than just your run-of-the-mill, the the 15th best third baseman. Sano is in that top half. I think that's a pretty big stretch based on what we saw last year, but 
it's not inconceivable given his arm strength, given his first step quickness, given the fact that for a huge guy, he actually moves pretty well. Um, the other thing that I want to say too, about you mentioning guys overperforming, there are a couple other people I'd put on that list, but they're not huge parts to the team. Like I think Robbie Grossman, it's possible last year was his career year. Here I am, you know, celebrating his season and saying he might be the starting left fielder on opening day, but there's enough in his major league track record to make me skeptical and, and question will he be able to repeat that 380 on base percentage? I, I'm not sold. I'm not convinced. Uh, another guy who I think probably overperformed what I expect out of him long-term was Kenny Vargas. I don't think Vargas is going to make it as an everyday regular, but uh, uh, it's possible. He he definitely has that chance to be an impact bat, even if he's just a DH, because I don't buy for one second people who say he's passable at first base. I think he's bad at first base. I think Byung-Ho Park was bad at first base. I think Joe Maurer had some really bad stretches at first base, too. So... There are some anyway to to get back to your original point. There are several guys, at least there are at least four guys who overperformed what I would expect. And I think I'd even throw Irvin Santana onto that list. To be honest with you, I'm not sure he's going to repeat having another 180 innings and a 3.3 ERA, 3.4 ERA, whatever it was. If he's a four ERA guy though for 180 to 200 innings, you'll take that. And if the arrow is truly pointing up for those four players I mentioned earlier, Sano, Polanco, Buxton, and Barreos. Well, then you're talking about a real improvement without even adding anything from the outside. Um, that's probably a little too rose-tinted glasses, but I just want to capture the range of, of what's going on here. The Twins' worst-case scenario, well, we probably saw it last year. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's any way this team loses 100 again unless 10 players get hurt and you, well, you replace them with all Danny Santana's. There have been a lot of people on on my Facebook page and on Twitter who are saying, like, you didn't make any changes besides a defense first catcher, Jason Castro. This team is guaranteed to lose 100 games. And just stepping aside from the absurdity of saying anything's guaranteed, I also say that, like, it's not even likely to lose 100 games. Losing 90 games would be disappointing, but not, like, unfathomable. Losing 100 games is really hard for me to fathom with this roster, and I'm not a gambling man. I don't bet on sports for ethical and financial reasons, but I just would have a really, really hard time seeing this collection of Twins players, um, you know, barring historically catastrophic injuries and losing, like, 15 of their most important players to the disabled list to replacement level players or below like Danny Santana. I, I, I don't see a hundred even like even on the, on the radar. So the range, let's tighten up the range a little bit. They're not going to win a hundred games. They're not going to lose a hundred games, but back to the slogan of the 2017 twin season and the touch them all podcast. It's not going to be like, really compelling or super great all the time, but it's going to be better than historically awful. <laughs> we should almost end it right there, but I have a Miguel Sano point that I want to make off of what you just said uh, before we peace out for this episode. That was a good mic drop, but I'm going to pick up your mic and say something <laughs> into it here 
Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Students, students, we have an announcement to make. Please don't leave yeah, school for no, the, the summer. This, we have something to say. This would be like at the end of 8 Mile if like somebody had walked up on the stage after after Eminem got done. Like, I'm oh, sorry. Like, I know that he won the rap battle, but I just have to say one more thing here real quick. Oh, no, don't leave. Don't leave. You can validate your parking at the front yeah. <laughs> of the rap battle. Please, please bring your ticket stubs to the front and we will validate your parking. Oh, man. So, um... On Miguel Sano, and this probably warrants its own podcast at some point when you and I are together in spring training, and maybe we can we can do this, but Miguel Sano has the widest range of who he could be. Byron Buxton's pretty wide, too, just, just in terms of his upside. But I think Miguel Sano could either be, for his career, Miguel Cabrera or Adam Dunn. And neither would be terrible. I mean, if, if you wound up with Adam Dunn and you just wound up with one of the great power hitters of a generation who didn't really have a position... And Wanda, if Adam Dunn had played in the American League, he would have been a little more valuable because he wouldn't be costing you a hundred runs in right field or first base every year. Like you could just okay, you, we're just going to put you at DH, and you don't have to be a swinging gate or there uh, in right field or first base. And Adam Dunn hit 40, 40, 40, 38, 46, a bunch of home runs every year, drove in a hundred on a regular basis. I have no doubt that Miguel Sano, throughout the course of his career, is going to hit for power and drive in runs. Can he hit for batting average? Can he? And you see the plate discipline. He strikes out a lot, but he's also, for yes. as much as he strikes out, it's not like he's he's not a Sammy Sosa or a Tory Hunter early in his career. He's just flailing at everything. Yes. He's he's able to lay off tough pitches in tough counts, which leads me to believe that he can reduce the strikeouts and put the ball in play more often if yeah. he just sort of hones his approach. So can he hit for average at some point going forward, like he did a couple times at a couple levels in the minor leagues? And then can he be at least playable at third base or at some point first base and be a league average defender at one of those two positions? If he can do those things, he becomes more of a Miguel Cabrera, and now he's playing for MVP awards throughout the next 10 years. If he can't, if he can't, and he's just sort of the player that we saw last year, he's Adam Dunn who's still a valuable player that you put in the middle of your lineup that can yeah. uh, knock the ball around. Well, yeah, I think Sano's approach is excellent, despite all the strikeouts. I think uh, I think you're right. I see him trending upwards in that area as well. Uh, I will pick, like if we're nitpicking here, I will say I think Byron Buxton's range of best outcome to worst outcome I think is significantly wider than Sano's because his worst outcome is like, fourth outfielder but you know i don't uh, i don't think that's the case really i on i on we we kind of did a podcast about this last i think byron buxton and maybe i'm being too pollyanna his upside is is top five player in the league and mvps i mean that's his upside i think his downside based on his defensive ability his ability to steal bases um he can get on base enough like if he can get on base with a 300 clip and bat 240 and play defense and steal bases he's melvin upton and you're going to play that guy. That's still a three-win player that you're going to play on a daily basis. So, but yeah, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm drinking too much Twins Kool Aid here. It's possible. We are uh, we are quibbling over uh, minor details here. I think we both <laughs> kind of see the, the arrow pointing in the right direction. If you're a Twins fan, for both Buxton and Sano, and honestly, if you're selling hope for the 2017 season, if that's like if that's your marketing slogan. That's a pretty good place to start. You might have two of the best players in all of baseball for the next five years. Go build a team around them. Not historically bad, baby. Not historically (laughs) bad.